0: All right. Well, I want to ask you guys today to reflect upon this opening question for us. What is your favorite Easter tradition? Okay, just think about that. Favorite Easter tradition. I mean, the obvious answer is probably like something having to do with eggs, right? You know, who likes the Easter egg hunt? right raise your hand yeah oh yeah it's still it's still fun even as adults right it's fun to look all over the yard and see see where the eggs are and then maybe you know see what's inside them maybe candy or something um what about the the, you know coloring dyeing the easter eggs who likes that one yeah that's one of my favorites even even now that i'm in my 30s i still like to see the little kids doing that and how they get color everywhere, you know. That's always fun. Uh, but but anything you know with Easter eggs is always a fun tradition. Uh, maybe you're thinking, oh, actually my favorite tradition at Easter time is going to like the Good Friday and the Easter church services, right? That's the correct answer, by the way. Or, another one could be, um, you know, maybe you like to, to go on vacation around, you know, spring break falls, like either like right after Easter for a lot of people, so maybe you're thinking, oh yes, at Easter time we, we go and visit family, or maybe we, we say Christ is risen while we're on the beach or something. But yeah, it might be like a good good tradition to take a trip around Easter time. Uh, those are all, you know, these are all good, legitimate traditions uh, but actually, my favorite one, we haven't talked about that one yet. My favorite tradition around Easter time is beating up on Doubting Thomas year after year after year. You know, just got, you like to have your Doubting Thomas punching bag, and you can just kind of just give him a hard time, right? How could he not believe? How could he doubt? You know, how dare he? It's a fun one. Yeah, if you can't tell, I really enjoy that. Uh, But traditionally, the Sunday after Easter is always John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, the story of doubting Thomas and Jesus. And so every year we get to, to read that thing where Thomas famously does not believe the other 10 disciples when they see Jesus. And he's like, you know, unless I see it with my eyeballs or touch him, uh, I'm never gonna believe. You know, seeing is believing for doubting Thomas. Now, obviously, Thomas, you know, because he's called Doubting Thomas, he's the most famous doubter, maybe in human history, uh, but especially in the Easter story. But today, you know, I'm just feeling a little nice this year. I, I feel like we should give him a break. I'm gonna set aside my favorite tradition and let's let's actually let's let Thomas off the hook a little bit. Actually, let's look at the other people in the Easter story. So I want to put them under the microscope and think, you know, how well do the others actually do when it comes to believing that Jesus is alive. So let's uh, let's take a quick look at this, shall we? First of all, we've got The women who come very early in the morning. And actually, the the pastors and I, last Sunday morning on Easter, we were kind of joking about this how, you know, the women, they're coming to the tomb, but they've got their spices with them, right? What does that mean? Well, it means that they expected to see the dead body of Jesus there, right? They were coming to kind of put the finishing touches on this burial preparation process, they were kind of rushed on Friday because Friday evening is when the Sabbath was beginning. They couldn't do any work then. So they're coming back. So because they have the spices, they're thinking, yep, dead body of Jesus is going to be there even though he had predicted, right, several times that he was going to die and then rise again from the dead. So not exactly an act of faith then on Easter morning bringing the spices. Oh, but it gets worse. Mary Magdalene, one of the women that was coming, she Has already seen now, peeked into the tomb, and it's empty. And her conclusion is not that Jesus has been raised, but that his dead body has been stolen, taken somewhere. And she sees this man there around the tomb, and it's Jesus. She sees Jesus. Let me repeat that. She sees Jesus, you know, a guy that she's met before, right? And she thinks that he's the gardener. You know, she's like talking to him, I, they've taken the dead body of Jesus away, you know. And finally, like he speaks and then she knows who it is. But on her own, she did not believe. Okay, so take a little time out here. Men, you gotta stop gloating uh, because the women have gotten off to a very rocky start here to the Easter uh, story. But the men are way, way worse, okay? So I'm gonna stop gloating now. Actually, let's just skip this part. No, um, no, 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 we'll do it, we'll do it. Uh, the disciples, right, they, uh, they, t- they don't come off very well at all here, because by the time the women go back to them, they have, they believe, they have more information. They've talked to the angels, they've seen the tomb, you know, Mary's talked to Jesus. They're saying Jesus is alive. The disciples say, nah, I don't think so. An idle tale, nonsense. We're not gonna believe it, you know? It's only then, that evening, when Jesus appears, that, that's the start of what we just read from John chapter 20, that they're like, oh, now they're glad, you know, because they've seen the risen Jesus. They had to see it with their eyeballs, too, before they would believe. So, the, the moral of the story so far is that everybody, everybody is doubting, everybody, Finds it too much to believe that this dead Jesus could have risen from the dead. And so, really, it'd be more accurate for us uh, to call this the story about doubting everybody. But that doesn't really have the same ring to it, does it? We like to, you know, focus our negative energy on just the one dude, you know, doubting Thomas. Oh, that has a ring to it. Let's just go with that one. And so now we got we got pick it back up. I got to resume my favorite tradition of beating up on Thomas, uh, because he is he's just so in your face. He's so brazen, he's so bold, he's so defiant about his unbelief. You know, he he's really, like using sarcasm when he's talking about, oh yes, I'll believe you know, um, if I can see Jesus, if I can like see the wounds in his hand, if I can stick my hand in his wound in his side, you know, but unless something like that happens, I will never believe, you know. He's being sarcastic, he's being defiant, he does not believe. And Thomas, in fact, he uses the strongest words in the Greek language that he can find to show the depth and the power of his unbelief. He says, "Ou me pistuso." Okay? Let's, let's say that together. Say "ou me pistuso." Ou me pistuso. Okay? He says that, you know, I will never believe. That's what that means. I will never believe, not a chance. There is no doubt about the strength of Thomas's doubt. "U may so? You got some Greek now. You can use this phrase around the house if you'd like to. You know "I will never believe "U me You know maybe, maybe your spouse or one of your kids, maybe they're always uh, promising that they'll do that particular chore around the house. And you're like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. You'll say, you know, they'll say, oh, I'm going to take the trash out. Unless I see the trash bag being lifted out of the can, unless I hear the swish of the bag as you're walking it outside, unless I hear the wheels of the trash can grating on the driveway as it's being taken out to the curb, Ooh May pastuso, I will never believe, okay? You can try that out. Uh, see if, you know, it'll make you sound more cultured as you're expressing your disbelief to your family members, but Thomas, very strong, very strong in his unbelief. So we like to beat up on him. And then, just a few verses later, Jesus says this thing it really makes us feel good. If I'm being honest, this verse really, I, I swell with pride when I hear this. Let me, let me just read it here. So Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I hear that and I think, oh, see, look, Jesus is praising me. I, I didn't see Jesus. I've never seen him with my eyeballs. And I believe, you know, so I'm starting to think, and maybe you guys have thought this too, oh man, if I had been alive back then at the Easter story, I, I would have been the star of John chapter 20. People would be preaching sermons about believing Jeff you know, for thousands of years, right? You guys have thought stuff like this before. Oh yes, look we get extra credit because we believe. Oh, aren't we so great? So much better than Thomas, so much better than the disciples, so much better than the women, we get the credit. Uh, That's not really what the point is here. because I guarantee you, we would have been in the same boat as the rest of the doubters Because when it comes to believing in Jesus, it is is not within our power to do so on our own. And so we've gotta, before we get too too full of ourselves here, we have to have this discussion about where does faith come from? How does it happen? How how does anyone believe in Jesus? And this is a, a theme in John's Gospel, it's about belief and unbelief just again and again it's about seeing or being blind again and again all these examples and so we have to we have to ask that question does faith come from seeing with these eyeballs the physical ones in our skull or does it come from somewhere else does it come from other kind of eyeballs that the holy spirit gives to us eyes of faith and throughout john's gospel again and again the answer is you do not come to faith on your own. It is a gift from God, from the Holy Spirit himself. And so we can, we could say that, you know, we only come to faith by the work of the Holy Spirit, or we could put it in an even stronger way, we could say it is impossible for any of us, apart from the Holy Spirit, to believe in Jesus. If not for the work of the Holy Spirit, we would all be saying that line from Thomas, who may this so, I will never believe. That would be our default anti-faith confession for every single one of us. If you don't believe me, that's okay. But I'm gonna bring in some other experts here to the conversation, some big guns, some heavy hitters. So if you, if you want to disagree with Pastor Smith, you know that that's okay, you can reasonably do so. But if you want to disagree with Martin Luther, and Jesus, and Paul, well then that's, that's, your, that's a problem that you have to deal with. Um, let's bring in Martin Luther here to speak on this topic. Uh, Third article of the Apostles' Creed. Some of you guys probably had to memorize this maybe in confirmation class. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. Whoa, that puts us in our place. Can't do it on your own. Jesus, also from John chapter six, Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me Unless it is granted him by the Father. Nobody can. It's the work of God to bring people to Jesus. Paul wants to get in on the conversation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks kind of about both sides. If, if, you're, if you have the Holy Spirit, you know what happens here. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. That's not possible. you got the Holy Spirit. Mm-mm. And on the other side of the coin, no one can say Jesus is Lord. That's a confession of faith, right? No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus one more time for good measure. Uh, Jesus and Nicodemus, that Pharisee who came to Jesus uh, at nighttime, didn't want his other Pharisees to know that he was trying to get answers from Jesus. Uh, So Jesus says to, to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then Nicodemus, being like Thomas and all sarcastic, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Patient Jesus says, "Uh, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can only see Jesus, you can only believe in Jesus through the eyes of faith that come from the Holy Spirit. You try to rely on these ones, it's not gonna happen. We're always gonna say, I will never believe. Now there are times where God gives signs, that's what John John calls them, things that your eyeballs can see that will help you, you know, kind of figure out what's going on. Um, John's gospel, there's seven, seven big signs that, that Jesus does and John's kind of like, you know, behold, look at this one. Here's the first one, here's the second one. Um, things like Jesus turning the water into wine. Things like Jesus healing the blind man so his, his sight could be restored. Things like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. These are like, you know, ding, ding, ding. Look at these signs. That Jesus is God. But really, these signs are given um, as a concession to us. It's like God saying, God kind of just conceding, yeah. I know you guys are weak and you're not gonna believe, and you're relying so much on your eyeballs and what you can see before you believe that I'm you know what I'm just I'm gonna throw you a bone sometimes. But really, the testimony, the words about Jesus you know, from Jesus himself, or the words from other people about Jesus, they should be enough. They should be enough for us to just to hear and believe. You know, Jesus says, I'm going to die and rise again. That should have been enough. We shouldn't have had to see the empty tomb and seen the risen Jesus, but God deigns to show us those things as well because of our weakness. But this this passage here about Thomas, it really puts on full display the power of the Holy Spirit's work. This is like the, like his handiwork here, the Holy Spirit, because he has Thomas making the most powerful anti-faith confession that there is, I will never believe, and he turns it around. The Spirit does his work replacing these broken physical eyes with the ones that come from above, the ones that enable us to see Jesus. So he transforms Thomas from doubting Thomas to what I think we should call him from now on, believing Thomas, believing Thomas. Doesn't that sound better, isn't that more accurate? That's how, that's how the story ends, right? With Thomas making the, this amazing confession. It's like the greatest most complete, most accurate confession about Jesus in the Gospels, it's not just because Thomas sees the wounds of Jesus, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit that leads Thomas to open his mouth and retract the I will never believe, but now he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. What a powerful confession testimony. No one could make this confession without the Holy Spirit. This is the confession that the Holy Spirit leads us to make as well, my Lord and my God. And it's this testimony, this is all, this, this is all the Holy Spirit really needs. Once he's got testimony about Jesus, he's out there. He's doing his thing. He's working faith in people's hearts. And I think there's, there's a beauty to that, there's a power to that Then Thomas like the most famous doubter of them all, um, then the Holy Spirit uses his confession. You know, we're, we're reading this 2,000 years later. And it's, it's strengthening our faith, knowing that the work of the Spirit transforms this doubter into a believer, just as he transforms all of us doubters into believers. And he uses our testimony about Jesus as we proclaim when we see him with eyes of faith my lord and my god is amazing the holy spirit and it's so comforting to reflect upon the work of the holy spirit because i know if i had to worry about you know like if i if i had to play some role in becoming a christian if i had to play some role in coming to faith in believing in jesus i would always be worried about you know, did I did I do my part the right way? You know, am am I believing strongly enough? Have I gotten all the right evidence and the information? You know, are my eyes working properly? I would constantly be concerned. I would think that my faith was a, was a flimsy foundation. I'd always be worried that it was going to just topple over. But when I can look at the Holy Spirit and think, yeah. He has given me these authentic, perfectly crafted eyes of faith to see Jesus. I don't have to worry. If I did the right thing, I can rely completely on God, bringing me to faith, keeping me in the one true faith. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to keep us looking at Jesus with eyes of faith always. And that's, I, I take a lot of, of Easter joy and comfort in knowing that the Spirit has brought me, and you guys can take comfort in that too, that the Spirit has brought you to that hope, to see the risen Jesus and to proclaim, my Lord and my God. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you for coming to us and replacing these broken down, faulty, flawed eyes that we have that we try to rely on so much. We thank you for replacing them with with eyes of faith so that we can rightly see Jesus as our God and as our Lord. Help us to take comfort in that from day to day. Help us to testify to the risen Jesus Move powerfully among us, Holy Spirit, and lead others to see Jesus as their God and Lord as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.